Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land, the House of Sin and Studio Stand On, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. This is the OST podcast, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Catch us live from 7pm every Tuesday on Sin Nation. Welcome to OST, original soundtrack here on Sin Nation with Erin and Paul. How are you doing, Paul? Oh, I'm very good, thank you. Uh, we have a very special episode to bring you. I think every week we kind of bring something special, don't we? Every episode um, is special. What every are you episode, talking about? Every episode something different because on OST we like to deep dive into lots of different stuff. We've done movies, we've done video games, and now we're kind of bringing things into TV shows with movies as well because we're doing animation. Absolutely. Just like we did last week, a little on video games, we're turning back the clock and checking out the present landscape of soundtracks in animation. That's right. We're going to be looking at our favourite cartoons in years gone by, um, and the complexity of children's programming as well is probably a conversation that we're going to be delving into. This is something we were talking about before. Um, the most complex of storylines and themes you all find in kids' shows oh, and absolutely. kids' movies. It's which actually is, terrifying. It's, it's really interesting. To help us out tonight, we have the one and only Evram in the studio to share her knowledge oh, and expertise and hello. passion. Hello, Evram. Thanks, guys, for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we wouldn't have wanted anyone else to be with <laughs> us here tonight for this episode, given you are a complete animation nerd, and yes. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> um Everum, so you are the training and development manager here at Sin, so we are incredibly privileged to have you here oh, no. on the show. Thank oh, you. oh no, she's so humble. She's so no. humble. Look at her over there. Um, but not only that, you've also produced an award-winning radio drama here at Sin called Troll Foods, which was awesome. I was on that. Yes, Paul was one of the lead voice actors on that on that series. Um, you can listen to it on iTunes if you want. There we go. Cheeky plug. That's what we were after. And you're also a screenwriter. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in that area? Yeah, sure. So um, I did a Master's of Screenwriting at VCA last year. I graduated and I wrote an animated kids television series as part of that. Hence, I guess the reason why I'm here today because I know a lot about kids animation and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very interesting industry to be part of and as you sort of were saying earlier Paul kids television especially animation you can explore things that are just like if you were doing it live action it wouldn't quite work if that kind of makes sense whereas like in I love animation and writing for animation because you get to like explore things that are symbolic and you get to write things like visually that it would actually be really hard to do in real life but can be visually very engaging um, and tell a story much more thematically than I think a live-action thing would, if that kind of makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Look, not a fan of the live-action. We have been talking a little <laughs> bit about live-action. I think the only one I will um, accept is Scooby-Doo, but, like, other than that, I can't, like, think of a decent Do you mean live the live-action action Scooby-Doo oh, yeah. movies? Oh, my God. We, we talked about so... that on our horror episode because we thought that was really thematic. Which you, um, too, can find on iTunes. <laughs> if, if Maybe you're already listening on the podcast, but you can actually find that on iTunes if you want. Totally. I think while we're talking about like really complex kids' movies, we should talk about our first movie, which is The Incredibles, which um, is just, I think, one of the best movies of all time, but also one of the best animated movies of all time. So if you don't know about The Incredibles, I'm so sorry. Yeah. But this is what it is. Uh, it was released in 2004. The It stars Craig T. Nelson, Holly Hunter, Sarah Vowell, and Samuel L. Jackson. I think he pops up a few times tonight, doesn't he? It's so weird because he, at that time, he just was not known as a kid's entertainer or a kid's star. Mm. He'd been in Star Wars, but that was kind of because mm. he, 
I, he's in interviews he was like I just did it because I wanted to hold a lightsaber like that was the only <laughs> reason he did Star Wars so I mean, he's same. not the perfect kid kind of person but somehow he ended up in this and he does an amazing job it features original music by composer Michael Giacchino who now to me personally is a little bit he's not a joke but he composes every action movie you can think of. <laughs> he did Spider-Man Homecoming. He does all the Mission Impossibles. He did Star Trek. He uh, probably did Star Wars along, along the track. He's done everything. Um, but he also composes Disney and Pixar movies. So he did mm. Coco recently, which is one of my personal favorites, even though I just saw it. It's one of my personal favorites of all time. Mm. Uh, Lost as well he did. And he yeah. did, before he did movies, he started with video games. I feel well, like he's made a market for himself, though. Like, I, th- yeah. I don't think it's some, the fact that he's um, soundtracked so many action films is, mm. like, a bad thing. Mm. No, not mm. at all. But it's just, you know, maybe it's a, a just, like, a sign of the times. But, you know, you remember John Williams for yeah. Star Wars and all the iconic soundtracks he did. But Michael Giacchino kind of just has The Incredibles. Um, mm. But in terms of iconic soundtracks, you can't remember him um, mm. for other things. So it doesn't mean he's bad. He's amazing. I love all this. That's work. really interesting because I think there must be a lot of musicians like that that I think have written like a bazillion soundtracks on various things that you're like would know, but they like, don't have like a name that's like knowable. Yeah. If that kind of makes sense. I think like, that's why lots of people him. like him because he he makes soundtracks that uh, you know like Hans Zimmer sometimes can take you out of something because yeah. you're like oh mm. that soundtrack was made by Hans Zimmer. <laughs> um, but with Michael Giacchino, he kind of flies under the radar in that kind of sense, and that's why mm. I like him. Uh, the plot with The Incredibles goes, uh, in a modern world where superheroes are forced into hiding, Bob Parker, also known as Mr. Incredible, seeks a shot at redemption, bringing his entire family of supers into the mix, which, if we're talking about The Incredibles 2, goes like this. In a modern world where superheroes are forced into <laughs> hiding, um, Mrs. Incredible, uh, what's her name? Um, Helen. Eleanor Parr. Helen. Um, Helen Parr <laughs> seeks a shot at redemption, bringing his, her entire family of supers into the mix. I mean, why fix what isn't broken, I guess? So, you know, the formula worked (laughs) really good the first time. So, um, And I think they were like, oh, feminism. So they they had to make the It's absolutely not a bad thing, but it's Mm. just so interesting how it was such a long-awaited sequel. Yeah. And then it's just literally The Incredibles 2.0. It's just... Yeah. I mean, they took pretty, they took minimal risk, I think, with mm. that film. But it paid off. It paid off, yeah. yeah. Like, I mm. think um, after, like, I saw the first one again very soon before I went to see the second one because I was like, I need a refresher. Mm. And, like, after doing that, it really, yeah, once again, really honed in the fact that it was pretty much the same plot, just told a different <laughs> way. Um, however, like, you could tell that they were trying, like, with the first one, they wanted to do a lot of things that I don't think they could do as well as they wanted because they were limited, perhaps by the technology of the time or maybe like socially they couldn't explore everything they wanted to explore mm. as I think mm. the second one they were able to take it to that next level even though yes it is the same plot but they were <laughs> able to I think flesh the themes out more if that makes sense yeah, yeah. I think that as an adult watching The Incredibles 2 it was rather painful <laughs> like the thematic value of it was just incredibly on the nose yeah. in comparison to the first one mm. which I don't know is that like, if I watched The Incredibles now, the first one, and I actually didn't refresh like you did, mm. so if I w- were to go back and watch that now, would I be like, oh, this is not as fleshed out as it could be, and is that a matter of the context and the time that it was made in? Or, you know, I find that an interesting, like, mm. idea, and whether it's a matter of trying to communicate similar ideas and that same narrative to the same demographic and age demographic except 10 years later so they're very different I think that you might actually be right because I feel like 10 years ago 
what their expectations were are just really different, I think. So they were probably yeah. like, we want to tell the same story, but we're going to tell it the way that I think audiences today, yeah. like kids but today might like respond to it. Superhero movies in 2004 were so different to oh, what superhero 100%. movies are in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like in 2004, the biggest hit you had was like Spider-Man mm-hmm. and everything else was a flop. Like there was Catwoman, Daredevil, <laughs> Elektra, Blade me, like, was kind of like... thinking about these films. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Four came out at a really similar time okay. and it was kind of like the f- the family unit as superheroes was mm. kind of what was cool in 2004 like the fantastic four uh some most of the characters are related in some way but the incredibles really pushed that kind of superhero group mm-hmm. which would only become like really lucrative and box office um you know gold in 2010 when the avengers avengers eventually came yep. out but the Incredibles actually broke new ground in that kind of sense, which is why lots of people like it. Because superheroes were so lame, like in that time. Only nerds still like superhero movies, but in that time, it's like it was only nerds and diehards that mm. like superheroes. And now, you know, yeah. your grandma and your best friend are superhero fans. Exactly. Like everyone's a superhero fan now. So I think that was what made it so interesting when it came out. Mm. It was definitely and OG. Yeah. The plot yeah. twist as well, I think, is what made it so interesting. What was the plot twist? That buddy of oh, spoilers for The Incredibles. We do this um, every week. We've got spoiler alert for a movie that came out 50 years um, ago. Um, buddy ends up becoming Syndrome. Oh, yeah. In okay. the end. And mm. that's like, I am your biggest fan as a kid. That was like, oh my God, are you serious? I thought you were going to say, like, The Underminer coming out. Was like, <laughs> no. That was the... It's like, as a child, you just you had no understanding of, like, how narratives work. So you were just yeah. like, oh my God, Buddy's the bad guy this whole time. I can't believe it. Also, the thing that I always found really, like when I rewatched it, I found this very striking. He dies at the end of yeah, the he film. Gets he gets yeah. killed. Yeah, like <laughs> murdered. Completely chopped to death. Yeah, and I do not, once again, feel like they would do that today. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like since they didn't take superhero mirror movies as seriously and because it was animated, would they would they kill the main villain in such a brutal way in the... I don't know. In no, the new one, they save they save, they save each him. Other. Yeah. yeah, it's about yeah. mercy. Yeah, it's strange. Mm. Um, anyway, the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack. Let's, <laughs> that's why we're here, right? The original soundtrack. We do this every week, everyone. We oh. always talk about the movie for like ten minutes and we go, "Oh, we got to do the soundtrack." Um, it was directed by Brad Bird, who was an animation director at the time. We're actually mm. going to talk. It's funny. We're going to talk about another one that was filmed at the very end. He directed The Iron Giant as well. Um, but he also went into the Mission Impossible movies as a director, um, and he had some other projects along the way. But Brad Bird was obviously—he's been a tried and true action director his entire career, so he knows how to make a good soundtrack and he knows how to make a good feel. So with this soundtrack, he wanted to use an analog recording, mm. which um, I don't want to get too lame and pretentious and be like an audiophile. But I'm going to do it anyway. I knew you'd love this. <laughs> but recording digitally doesn't really do the instruments justice a well, lot of brass, the time. Like they're, they're brass Br- the, instruments, the brass instruments yeah. and the wind instrumentation. So oh, I feel like such an asshole. Um, <laughs> so Please continue. With, with, it's like with digital film and audio film, like they just have two, it's just two different kind of things. It's like apples and, apples and oranges. You just can't compare the two because they have their own feels. But with brass instrumentation, when you put it through, you can have the best equipment, you can have the best microphones in the world, but it just won't sound the same mm. if you play it through an analog tape, because it, it a brass instruments need to be warm and they need to be need to have this kind of comfort to them, mm. um, and audio and analog audio does that really well. So he chose with Michael Giacchino to make sure all the analog re- recordings were analog, so that it, it had that punch to it. 
You could feel it when you're watching the movie. Oh yeah, um, and it's oh, so then... iconic. I think to the like the the film, it's got that jazz kind of sound to it, and it really sets the the tone of the whole yeah. film. And I think it really sets it apart. I mean, if you think about Pixar soundtracks in the two thousands, like they're winning awards left, right, and center, and they're all really diverse as well. But they are kind of, I guess, a lot of them are coming from orchestrated backgrounds and. Um, mm. I don't know. Are they? I, I can't comment whether they're all analog or. But, but if you think about like Cars and Monsters Inc. as well, is I think Monsters Inc.'s theme would have been recorded. Yeah. In an analog that's style because it's, that one, it's yeah. got that jazzy, jazzy sound. Yeah, to and it. that's it's got a really similar vibe. Um, and I feel like The Incredibles is like that rebirth of that jazzy mm. soundtrack for an animated show. I think it's kind of, at sometimes also a bit tongue in cheek James Bond as well. Yeah, oh, it really yeah. embraces that tone. Like, it's yeah. just like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly and we're going to go yeah. hard. Like, yeah. that's what it felt like as a soundtrack. And I even, like, the fact that that film, the original one, is so old, yet then when I went to see the second one, when I heard it again, like, that oh, tune. Yeah, like, yeah. you're just like, whoa. And you don't even realise that you remember it, but because it was so powerful, you remember yeah. it. Yeah, mm, yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. It is a very memorable yeah. tune. I know this soundtrack was just one of many I had in my Walkman that I used to... <laughs> walk around with um, now you're really playing it up the pretentious I'm, I'm, no well when I was like not like yesterday when I was five years old <laughs> um, my parents used to buy me OSTs on CD so I'd have like the Incredibles and just like Star Wars or something in my Walkman I used to just walk walk around with it didn't want to have like rock CDs or anything I just wanted the Incredibles soundtrack because it was so like wholesome and uplifting wow so cool. <laughs> so Beautiful. I think we're going to play one of the songs that I would play to make myself feel really good. Thank you guys for <laughs> making fun of my wholesome <laughs> moment. Because um, it's in kind of like the halfway point in the movie where um, Mr. Incredible kind of finds this new job and he finds a new purpose in life. Um, and it just really has that kind of wholesome tone to it. It's called Life's Incredible Again. And it kind of, you might remember it from the movie, it plays over this kind of workout montage Mm. And then him buying a more expensive car and then all this stuff. So this is Life's Incredible Again, composed by Michael Giacchino from the Incredible Soundtrack. You're listening to OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Honey! What? Where's my super suit? What? Where is my super suit? Hello. Hey, hey, Paul. Hi. That was Life's Incredible Again from the Incredible Soundtrack, composed by the very awesome Michael Giacchino. Very awesome. You are on OST, original soundtrack, with Paul, Aaron, and our very special guest, Evram. Hi. And she's brought two kind of things with her each week. We get a guest to bring in their own two little things that they love. And what Evram has brought is... Uh, an interesting pick, I'll say myself, um, but it's we're kind of getting into the Disney things now, so we're talking about The Incredibles. Now we're going to talk about The Lion King 2, mm. Simba's Pride. Yep. So uh, just like, you know, we talk 
when you guys asked me what are your favourite songs from soundtracks, I just picked like the first two that really stood out to me. Um, so The Lion King, um, Two Simba's Pride. <laughs> um, yeah, it might, have you guys both seen it? I, I have, I have but it's seen been it. a long yep. time okay, since we, I've we were, seen it. We were saying before that I just remember owning all the twos at home. Like I had the Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid 2, okay. Aladdin 2, Lion King 2, Milan 2. The worst um, sequel well that's the thing is that like i feel like generally speaking people always think as this of the second movie as like obviously being objectively worse yeah. than the first one like it's very hard for there to be a good sequel right mm. um but i think personally yes the lion king 2 wouldn't be as good without the first one mm. but i still feel like in as a film i enjoy the second one more than the first one mm. which is like i know a bit controversial, probably, but I mean, yeah. I, I enjoy it more. Um, so it was released in 1998, which um, and it stars a lot of really famous voice actors. Uh, do you guys want to read out? The yeah, names? of course. Yeah. So Matthew Broderick returned as Simba. Was that as in like child Simba or adult? He was Simba adult, Simba. adult Simba. Adult Simba. It's really funny yeah. Matthew Broderick's voice in that. How it just sounds <laughs> nothing like Matthew Matthew Broderick. Yeah, it's him mm. trying really hard to not sound like Ferris Bueller throughout the whole movie. I feel. <laughs> I would never have even realised unless no, neither, I read neither, it. No, but yeah. when you think about it really hard and you watch The Lion King, you're like, oh, it's Matthew Broderick. <laughs> That's awful. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that kind of upsets me now, <laughs> Yeah, I feel uncomfortable. Um, Andy Dick, a relative of mine, obviously. Uh, uh, James <laughs> Earl Jones. Uh, Robert Gwillamy, I think. Gwillamy. Okay. Sorry, Robert. He, um, um, well, uh, rest in peace, he recently passed away. Oh, He's the he? voice oh, of um, the baboon character oh, yeah. whose name I escapes me but yeah. Uh, yeah. Rafiki? Rafiki, yeah. Rafiki, that's mm-hmm. right. Rafiki. Um Nathan Lane, Moira Kelly Ugh. and Edward Hibbert. Edward Hibbert. So okay. Rowan Rowan Atkinson played Zazu in the original. In the first one, yeah. Uh, oh, and, and he was replaced in... which is every single Disney home made movie ever. Yeah. Like the genie was replaced in Aladdin 2 with the voice of Homer Simpson oh. instead of Robin Williams. It's yeah. just it happens every time so yeah. Yeah, that's that kind of makes sense. No, that's a shame. <laughs> I totally wouldn't have realised. I'm, like, real shook now. That, that really saddens me. Um, and, yeah, the original music is by Elton John, like the again. first one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, as, again. We've got double Elton John as yeah. well. I told you we got double Elton John. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about animations here. Elton John Elton is going to be everywhere. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, in regards to, like, plot, um, the idea of the second film is that Simba... Um, <laughs> yeah, we wrote this for Evan, so she's going to have to read this out. This is why we make you guys read it out, because we always start with the This is wrong. Sorry. Paul, do you want to read it? Uh, yeah. no, no, no. Save Evan the suffering. Um, so it's all good. So basically, in the second film, um, Simba has a daughter. Um, and oh, a daughter. <laughs> Yeah, Paul wrote son. Sorry, that's what made me laugh. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all good. So he has a daughter called Kiara, and the mm. plot of the story is essentially that she actually ends up falling in love with Scar's son mm. um, called... Uh, oh, I don't remember his name. What's it called? I wrote his name down. That's Crap. Right. I'll look it up. But, um, like, I remember this Kovu. movie. Kovu, that's Kovu. it. Kovu, that's right. That's right. I oh that was so confusing. I must have no. It's done okay. My there was a son wrong. and a daughter involved, but oh, the other way yeah. around. So right. it's fair. Yeah. There, okay. there are there are multiple genders involved yeah. in the okay. story. Well, so okay. you're 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 okay. <laughs> you're allowed to make those mistakes. Um, I like you said before. Like it's been ages since I've seen this movie. However, I do remember it really prominently. Um, when I was just born, when it came out, probably not even. Well, yeah, I would have been born, but um. 
like I still have memories of watching it on VHS mm. and um, I don't know if it's the imagery. I definitely remember the imagery of Kiara, like mm. the young lion. And I don't know, you're just like a young girl and you're like, oh, I relate. Lion. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's like a, like a fictional animated mm-hmm. l- like character that's a lion, you're like, oh, same pun. Like, <laughs> I'm totally in love with exactly. the evil. And, like, I know that everyone was in love with Kovu. Like, yeah. ev- like everyone I know had a crush on Kovu, even yeah. though he was, like, alive. Yeah. So, like, you know, get <laughs> over that, it. Isn't that funny, though? I find that so interesting. Like, with animation, you, like, kind of put those biases aside yeah. about, like, oh, these are fictional characters. They're still kind of built around human perceptions They're personified. of personality. Yeah, yeah 100%. absolutely. It's so interesting. What do you remember about this film, Paul? I remember that there's just a boy character that looks like Scar. Yeah. And I was like, that's Scar's cool. Scar's son. Yeah, well, Scar's son. <laughs> that um, makes sense. I just, um, yeah, well, I mean, like, that imagery in my head I always thought was so interesting that, um, or, like, Scar's character in The Lion King, um, which is based on Hamlet, but, like, his mm. evil is so, like, it just, like, carries on throughout generations. So I, I, that was the reading I had of it when I was, like, five years old when I watched it. I, I always found that was so cool because... I don't. I didn't. I remember when I was, you know, like really little. Simba wasn't like my favorite Disney character. Mm. I don't think, but I, I thought Scar's son character was more cool because he, he seemed like more of like a cool character to relate to, and he was a bit more of a badass. And He's more. It's more about like sort of like growing up like as like an adolescence, like that sort of mm. angst and stuff like that. I yeah, feel like no, that I've, that was in the film. I right? found the angst more attractive and interesting. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, well, it's you know, the, basically the plot of the film is that like um, his, Simba's daughter falls in love with Scar's son, and so it's Scar, star-crossed lovers. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not allowed to be together. Um, f- yeah, exactly. And the the basic plot of the film is that Simba tries to like banish Kovu from the pride so that his daughter can't be with her because there's a prejudice against the pride of lions that Scar aligned with and they've not connected back with the main pride that Simba's with. So, so there's a divide between the lions, basically. The first Lion King is Hamlet. Does that mean this one's Romeo and Juliet? Maybe. Or I don't... Yeah. I'm sure Was there that a that's... Hamlet 2? <laughs> Did Shakespeare write a Hamlet 2? Is that what this is based on? Imagine if there was a play called Hamlet 2. Well, well I, I mean, mean, there's Henry the, the Seventh like, Part 2. That doesn't two. count. Oh, yeah, okay, parts. I, was, I thought you were going to say, like, the kings, just the, like Richard the Third. No. That doesn't count. As <laughs> no, as well. no. Like, but, the guy's um, just got a, the same name as his dad. I don't know. No, Maybe. I know what you mean. It could. I don't think that this one was as, like, strictly based... On like mm. obviously it's probably Romeo and Juliet, but I don't think it was as closely aligned right. as like the f- mm. Hamlet was with the okay. first original Lion King. But I'm sure that that played a role with it. Um, the song that I ended up actually picking is called "Not One of Us," and it's the part of the film where um, essentially Simba is banishing Kovu from the pride, and so Kiara, his daughter, is like begging him, "No, you know, don't banish Kovu. Like I'm in love with him." Mm. And then there's like a chorus of animals that are like basically pushing Kovu out and like being like, "You." are not one of us. That's basically what the whole song is about. And it's a very chilling song. I think I find it chilling. You know, it's about giraffes yelling at, like, other, like, at a lion, but whatever. Um, And sort of, I think the reason I found this song very powerful was because it shows, like, the good side, Mm. which is Simba, actually making a mistake and banishing Kovu. So, like, they put him on the other side and they frame him as the bad guy in the story, despite him actually originally being the good one. And that's sort of, like, very layered 
like I found that to be very layered in terms of storytelling, which is not mm. something that I think you see usually where there's like such a clear good and bad divide in kids' shows or kids' films. Whereas like in this one, the whole point of it was that Simba actually makes the main, same mistake. So he, it mirrors what is happens to Simba in the first film. Oh, true. So Simba is yeah. blamed for the death of, death of his father, um, which is like a mistake he didn't make. And he blames Kovu for, um, for like basically being Scar's son. Um, and for a mistake he didn't make. And, like, it's, you know, mirroring the same mistake that was made to him in the first one. So it's kind of like he has to relearn his lesson, which is really interesting. It's very thematic in that way. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You wouldn't expect it. What I find so interesting about this whole trilogy is that they kind of did a third one, but they didn't. Yeah. It was, like, uh, Lion King one and a half. Yeah, I remember that. it's, like, you could have done a whole, like, interesting trilogy where you... There was something that wrapped up that whole thing. Oh, yeah, or, like, you kept discussing the... Um, you know, inev- inevitability of family mm-hmm. and this, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespearean themes of like, betrayal and and things like that. But no, they were just like, let's, you know, remake the first one from another perspective. That would yeah. be really great. I it, think that'll really work. This is the one you're talking about, which is Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. Yes. And it's yeah. like the Lion King, but before Timon and Pumbaa met Simba. Yeah. No, it's I like, know. It's like their journey what? before they meet him. <laughs> And you're kind no of, it's like a that. prequel to characters that were not the main character. No one wanted that. No one. I think <laughs> it was just funny. I think that's why they made it. Oh, that. yeah, it was just yeah. fun. Like, yeah. they were likable characters. They yeah. thought, why not? But yeah, I mean, we would have loved to see a little bit of a morality complex kind of discussion. 100%. And I mean, I think this song especially is is kind of playing into that that dark tone that we don't always see in exactly. animation. Like, I guess, well, you do see it, but when, when it's there it stands out like Mm -hmm. it's really powerful Mm -hmm. so i think we might throw that song now yeah let's get into it this is not one of us from the lion king 2 simba's pride soundtrack you're listening to ost on sin nation who are you pride lander What are you doing? My father says to never turn your back on an outsider. You always do what daddy says? No, bet you do. Bet your daddy's little girl. <laughs> an outsider doesn't need anybody. I take care of myself. Really? Welcome back to OST Original Soundtrack here on Sin Nation with Paul, Aaron, and our very special guest, Ephraim. That was not one of us from The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, which I just have to say is one of my favourite puns of a movie title. Because it says pride, and it says pride, because he's a lion, and a group of lions are called a pride. Erin and I are just staring at Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, are you serious right now? Paul wrote those on the show notes, he says. (laughs) (laughs) From that to the next thing, I guess we'll talk about Evram's other pick, which uh, is a show... um, I, I kind of watched here and there, but it's Steven's Universe. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into the TV stuff now. Mm. Um, do you want to introduce Steven's Universe? Yeah, for sure. So um, Steven Universe is an animated TV show that's currently broadcasting on Cartoon Network. So it started broadcasting in 2013. And the show, um, the reason it sort of plays a big role in my heart is that it was the first show on Cartoon Network to have a woman as the showrunner and creator of the entire series, um, which her name is Rebecca Sugar. Um, the show revolves around 
around the journey of a half-human, half-alien being called Stephen, who is an adolescent boy, um, who lives with other aliens, which are the same race as his mother's. Um, and the show is basically about him learning to control his powers, whilst also going through the experience of growing up. So it's like, you know, all about coming of age, um, learning the responsibilities of his powers, learning, you know, what it means to be a teenager, all that sort of stuff, but, like, with magical powers. And, and like, the thing is that his mother um, is no longer alive, so his father is a single parent and stuff, and so it's a very interesting, complex show. Um, the show creator, Rebecca Sugar, um, is also the person who sings the song that I've picked from the soundtrack oh. today. I know, very sweet. <laughs> um, basically, she was a storyboard artist on Adventure Time. And you guys, if anyone is an Adventure Time fan, she um, wrote and drew for the episode in which Marsley is introduced for the first time, The yeah. Vampire. Um, and so she was really, really good on that show, so she got her own one. Um, and basically, she also writes all the music for the show too, so she's, I put in brackets here, some people are too talented, which is really, <laughs> really annoying. Um, essentially, like, um, the show is known for being incredibly progressive and for exploring themes um which other like kid shows like in today's modern society don't usually touch on. So um, the show is known for being the one that's ever shown a gay kiss in on screen in their mm -hmm. animated kid show um, when two characters actually get married on screen. Um, and so that's kind of what they're most famous for. And it's incredibly positive um, and almost all the characters in the show are female and there are multiple open gay relationships on screen in the show, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, I think so. that, is there quite a few like gender diverse characters 100%. as well? There's, yeah. I, I remember. Um, well, I the, I I remember watching the pilot of this show, um, because I came to. Well, we've I think we've all have have a Tumblr account. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Um, I mainly kind of started watching Steven's Universe because I saw it on Tumblr all the time. That's how, when I was in like my early teenagers, that's Same. when. That's how I found out about so many shows is because people just <laughs> posted it like ad nauseum. I'm like, okay, I just have to figure out what the show is about. It's the same with Sherlock and Supernatural and stuff. I just like have to know what this gif is about. It's the same with um, Steven Universe. But I remember some characters' art designs reflect some LGBTI plus 100%. flags. Yeah. So there's yeah, an yeah. asexual character in the show that their dress resembles like the actual the colors. colors of the yeah. flag. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also, you know, like, aromantic characters, I think, and there's, like, a bisexual character, and her outfit reflects the mm -hmm. purple, pink, and blue mm -hmm. of that as well. So, like, <laughs> queerdom is literally just pushed into the show. It's basically, like, the whole show. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, it's amazing. That. It's yeah. great. Yeah, and it, it... I mean, that's why it's so popular on Tumblr. It's just this amazing thing that people can enjoy and love. And mm. Well, I was going to say Tumblr is like a massive place for fandom, but it's also a really <clears throat> huge place for like, I guess, queer discussion spaces and yeah. safe spaces for queer kind of meta creation as well and things like that. I know that like... There's <laughs> so much fanfic. Yeah, and, fanfic uh, is huge. fan drawings of this show as well. It's lovely. But I think the awesome thing about that as well is that you're given a world and a context within which those fan fictions can actually like come to life too, mm -hmm. which is so... I mean, it's really rare still, and like Steven Universe was probably like the first 
animated series currently like in this contemporary climate to be the catalyst for that kind of yeah. movement of more queer relationships I and more gender agree. diverse characters yeah. yeah it's it's funny because the show itself like from like I guess a perspective in terms of storytelling it starts off as a very like monster of the week show the episodes are only 10 minutes long um, and the thing is that in terms of how it's structured they're usually like they set it up at the beginning as like oh this is just a regular show where you fight monsters every week right but then Rebecca kind of like subtly started putting things into it and then fans started picking up on it and then mm. she, then like I think Carter and Network were like oh crap we can't like not do it now basically because she kind of like I think that she had to be like okay I'm going to play it safe at the beginning and I'm going to get people really invested and then Cartoon Eric will have to let me do what I want basically yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rebecca herself is like an openly bisexual woman and um, a lot of the sort of characters and the things that are explored in there she's often said that are things that she's experienced herself um, and that's why she wants to like put it on screen and th- tell those stories essentially Um the song that I picked um, that I want to share with you guys is called Love Like You and it is sung by Rebecca Sugar herself. Um, The song is actually the ending credits to the show and um, the thing is that it was um, played in short segments across like a four-year span of its broadcast so you would never actually hear the entirety of the song. It was only this year that they released the entire song on the soundtrack that came out so no one had heard it in its entirety until like about six months ago. That's awesome. Yeah. So what is the rest of this? Because I'm actually not that familiar. I've probably only even seen the pilot mm. myself as well. But what what's the soundtrack like, I guess, in its entirety? Yeah. Like, like what does it kind of add to... To the show. Yeah. It's um it's very, like, mystical. Um, it sort of reminds me even of a video game at times, cool. the music. Yeah, it's a bit... Um, what's, what's the genre called? Like, bit... bit yeah, like... Uh, 8-bitty. 8-bitty, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Chip bit something. Bit tune. Eight. Chip... Uh, bit tune, bit tune, bit tune. Spit some rhymes. Yeah, it's like, like you know, like early eighties, like Nintendo video game. Yeah, it's definitely like that. Yeah, eight bit sort of tune. That's what I was trying to say. Fantastic. Thank you, Paul. So like, yeah, it's sort of like I'd say reminds me of a video game, or and it's very mystical and really easy to listen to. Doesn't usually like. So this is the only song that has like. There's only very few songs that have lyrics. Most of them are usually don't have any lyrics, but they the show does sing songs in it they're def- it's like definitely got musicals yep. in the show but most of the time it's just in the background adding to the atmosphere um helping build the tension in the scene and it's just like very relaxing most of the time as well because this the show's set on a beach so they live in like a place called beach sitting in the show mm. and so like um there's a lot of music which is just like you're sitting by the waves and you're just watching the ocean whilst Stephen contemplates something or yeah. ask like there's like a moment between characters that sort of stuff and the music is usually very key to the structure of the story because the episode's are only 10 minutes long mm. so they use the music very effectively to like set mood um really fast so yeah mm, as it should be that's mm. the strength mm. of soundtracks i think when it helps out yeah that's really cool thanks ev i think we will go to that song brilliant now let's do it paul yes so this is love like you from the end credits of cv universe it's by rebecca sugar you're listening to ost original soundtrack on sin nation i guess i'm just too tough to cry just today you were crying about snakes they don't have any arms. That right there was Love Like You by Rebecca Sugar from the Steven Universe soundtrack. You are on OST, original soundtrack, here with Aaron Paul and special guest Evram tonight. Woo. That, that was a lovely song. Thank you for that sharing that. That was very that. nice. Thank you for giving us really that relaxed. treat. I feel really yeah. relaxed. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. 
We're about to get jacked again. Oh, no. Oh, dear. We're going to dive into our next animated TV series, in fact, and this one, oh, boy, it's Teen Titans, the original Teen Titans series, released in 2003. Um, Not Teen Titans Go!, Hmm. I was about to ask or what you thought the, of that. Oh, or the upcoming live-action Teen Titans, uh, which is just called Titans, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just Titans. Um, and, yeah, My I'm going to swear on the Aaron. show. Thank you. But it actually had this moment where, like, Robin kicks someone and he actually says, fuck Batman <gasps> on the show. And wow. I'm like, how is this a show that exists? Why is that a joke that it's, it is in the show? <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's talk about Teen Titans because <laughs> I hate Titans. Totally not necessary. Anyway, some notable, um, I guess, voice actors in this original series are Tara Strong, Hinden Walsh, Scott Menville, Greg Sipes. 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 I, I don't know why I try to pronounce the names because I always end up just looking at Paul for like <laughs> to validify me. Um, and Kari Payton. Kari Payton? Yeah, we'll set it with Kari Payton. Um the original music, so I guess it's quite a mix of things and I think the most interesting thing about the Teen Titans soundtrack for me is that there is, for the most part, every song is presented in English and in Japanese because the um, the series is inspired by, the, I guess, the original DC comics and the original characters in the DC comics um, and then there's obviously been a lot of like Japanese adaptations of Teen Titans along mm, the way. Yeah, and I guess and, there's a lot of crossovers in those worlds anyway. And other comic characters as well. Like oh, there was absolutely. a uh, live action Japanese Spider Man show oh. in the 70s oh, that, that was yeah. like in a similar similar studios to made Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. it had like over the top stuff like that. So I think Japan has a really strong relationship with comic books. Absolutely. Yeah, because I was going to say Teen Titans. Do you know if they ever released any mangas of Teen Titans? Oh, they were. Yeah, yeah, they certainly. So certainly. I, I can't. Um, name any, but like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen it before. Um, and I mean, I, this show was broadcast in multiple different languages, I know as well, and it was definitely broadcast in Japan around the same time as the original English release. Um, so it was animated by Cartoon Network, mm. but um, you know, it obviously took a lot of inspiration from tropes of um, Japanese anima- anime and animation, um, and then obviously, like, the s- superhero tropes that we see in DC and Marvel and, and the the OGs back in the day. The <laughs> plot the plot of Teen Titans, I should reiterate. <laughs> Sorry if Aaron. people don't know this. <laughs> Five teenage friends live in a sick house that does the T-pose and fight crime. Mm. Sounds about right. Do they fight crime in this show? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was more kind of like the supervillain well, like kind of characters. They're, yeah, they're usually like supervillains, but they're, they're, for the most part they're committing a, a, a felony oh, okay. of some kind yeah, or a crime. True. Like there's the... um. Oh, I remember there was a character who's like a videotape superhero or something. Like he's just made out of sh- real, like Isn't videotape. Is that a joke real? from the Mighty Boosh? Yeah, I was literally about to say <laughs> it. Is but yeah, it is. that's awesome. They, probably, they stole it from Teen yeah. Titans. We've dropped a Mighty Boosh reference, everyone. That's it. <laughs> Episode six, Show's and it's over. happened. Done. <laughs> um, but no, like he's stealing real from a, right. a video store. That's very so like, okay. It's like him <laughs> powering up. Um, right. That okay. is. Yeah. There's cool usually as. some element of crime, but there is a lot of, I guess, moral ambiguity in Teen Titans mm. and there is kind of that fundamental good versus bad and you know evil mm. will not triumph against the, the good that's a kind mm. of like a really traditional trope in, in Japanese anime. Yeah I guess I brought up Titans before because in 2018 not that I am the biggest DC fan I find them more of like a Marvel when it comes if I had to pick. Well like it, DC didn't do anything else. Uh, it's yeah, really hard good, being so. a DC fan in 2018 when they're not on your side ever, like in any way. <laughs> the movies are just, there's no Sorry. effort put in. Yeah. Um, there are some, I mean, you know, if you're a DC fan, it's completely up to you to 
you know, art subjective. Don't, don't, don't you know, um, don't pander but, to them. It's their problem. It's but, their you problem. know, um, it is really hard because, you know, even Aquaman's coming up too, and that's just not looking great. Um, we mm. had Justice League earlier. That was not good. Um, and then we had Batman vs. Superman, yeah. which just gave me a headache. <laughs> and then, oh, there's just all this stuff. So I think we were blessed in the early 2000s with great DC content. Mm-hmm. There were good DC video games as well that came out in that mm. era, but just since then, it's just not been good, Absolutely, guys. absolutely. This is the thing, though. Um, like, in regards to, I've watched Teen Titans Go, which is yeah. the new one that Cartoon Network has released. And, like, the thing is, I I don't necessarily like it, but I find it hard to hate it only within the context of, mm. like, I don't think that it's trying to be anything like the oh, original absolutely. show. Absolutely. So I'm kind of like, okay, I see them as, like, two separate things. But I yeah. don't understand why they use the Titans for the show. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, like, for sure. I think it could have been... Sorry to cut you off. I no, think it's okay. it could have definitely been a thing of, like, they were... The characters were so... I guess they had such an appeal in their time to, mm. that you cannot overstate, I think, the popularity of Teen Titans when it came out um, originally and the legacy that it's had as well in terms of, like, TV animation. Mm. Um, they were like, oh, we might have a good thing here. We may as well use it. Use and I absolutely agree with you that they're kind of two different entities. Um just go isn't for me. No. I don't know, for some reason. It's, yeah. it's mainly for like 10 year old kids and people who are um, mm. having a good time. And yeah, but I think that's okay. They did the same thing with Powerpuff Girls. Um, that's oh, been sure. remade yeah. for a new audience. That's just what kids, it's not like kids today are stupid and don't want something creative, but it's just, you know, there are other shows that do that, like Steven's Universe mm. and uh, We Bear Bears yeah. and Gravity yeah. Falls that are more for the older kids. But just yeah. Teen Titans Go doesn't have to fit that kind of mold anymore. Mm. You know. Even though I understand why you're sad that it doesn't. No, I think I think they have a like. So there's a mix of I guess thematic value and, and genre in every era of of like modern animation. Mm. If you look at that, and I mean at the time of Teen Titans. Um, Cartoon Network were just I guess they, the main thing they're latching onto really was kind of like the gang of kids like <laughs> these young young kids um, so it was re- relatable but there were different types of, like Codename Kids Next Door was like a similar mm-hmm. principle where yep. they're like five kids who go on secret missions it, and stuff it, but it was so much more like kooky right it, it's funny because Teen Titans and Codename Kids Next Door are kind of palette swaps of each other mm. like they have the five lit, kind of the same characters mm. um, there's kind of the big goofier guy which is the bigger guy in Codename Kids Next Door and Cyborg in Teen Titans yeah. and then there's the leader who's number one in Codename Kids Next Door and then Robin in Teen Titans so it's even funny how those like tropes are actually like indispensable yeah. but mm. they exist in their own kind of right and context yeah I think they're really of each other. universal and, and transversible there as well but then I think Teen Titans it's like the original series it's aspiration really is to kind of tap into those those dark themes and I mean we've been talking a lot actually about kind of like dark themes that pop up in <laughs> children's animation mm, isn't that it, interesting it's so important to me though I think yeah um to be challenged either as a kid or by an adult by a kid's movie mm. or a kid's tv show because I don't know like you can have popcorn entertainment but if you kind of walk out of a even a kid's finale of a season or something and not feel challenged or changed in some way I feel like it's kind of pointless mm. oh I, well, I was like sorry Evram I was like really profoundly affected by like the season finale mm. of Teen Titans and it still it sticks with me to this day like how strong of a message it sends home and like just the constant battle that Robin faces I guess mm. is you never see like I don't know have you ever seen that perspective really portrayed in a way that's so um 
it really contextualizes Robin's experience as a young person who is trying to be, you know, top guy, and he's trying to really excel and exceed expectations of himself. And I up. I completely forgot about the TV show. I totally should have talked about today, Digimon. Oh yeah. Um, but <laughs> Digimon has such interesting dark themes throughout yeah, its totally. first season. Um, there's you know, but that it's a similar uh, dynamic of characters as well because it's seven kids who get lost in a digital world and they have to make their way through it. Um, so you know, they face all these problems. But there's literally an allegory for depression mm. that exists as a physical entity that actually like mm. takes over a character. Um, for like a whole couple of episodes up to the end. So mm. I, I think, no, that wasn't on Cartoon Network, but it's a similar kind of writing stuff. And that's why I love these kids shows so much because they, they're challenging and they, they bring these yeah. things that as a kid you go, oh, that's really deep. But as an adult, you look back on it and you go, oh, my God, mm. that's so deep. Mm. I think the thing that really sends that home, though, is the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> might I say here on the soundtrack show? So yeah, as as I kind of mentioned before, like so we've got a lot of these themes and tropes coming through from you know um, Japanese anime. If you look at like animes like Cowboy Bebop, and it's like that really dark and mm -hmm. um, sinister kind of thematic value that's really you know coming to the forefront here. But there's also just a really playful side to Teen Titans as well that is just like oh, I, it's kind of in a way it's kind of appealing to the English audience as well to kind of bring up that, you know, this is this is a fun animation, mm. but it's also incredibly, like, kawaii, right? It's, like, yep. super fun, Japanese, cute, like... And I think that's its real strength, is that it's really just got all its bases covered in, across the East and West. Um, the music itself... So the soundtrack features songs so the songs have a duality to them they they are either in english or japanese and mm -hmm. they um with the theme song especially i find this so fascinating is that they had the so they've got the english recording of the theme song and then the japanese one and they use them thematically different depending on the content of the episode so if it was like a really um a serious episode with like deep themes oh. they'd use the um the english Intro. Oh, right. And then with, with something that was a bit more fun and playful, they'd use the Japanese intro. Oh, no. <laughs> That's really interesting. How cool yeah. is that? And then just the thought that goes into that as well. Um, so the theme song was actually created by Andy Sturmer and um, it was performed by the Japanese band Puffy Army Yubi, who I like total mark for when I was <laughs> when I was younger. Um, and yeah, it was used in regions where the show was broadcast uh, and that was it would always vary dependent on yeah the content and then also just dependent on um, where it was being broadcast as well. Was, mm. So I think just that kind of um, foresight as well. Oh, yeah. Depending I, on who their audience was. I, I don't want to bring up Digimon again, but I guess while mm. we're of talking about yeah. it, um, they did the same thing. Like, like they had localised theme songs for the West and the East, mm. um, but they would never, ever um, play different things but yeah I was gonna say I find that really fascinating because I never have like I don't think that like any show I ever watched did that yeah cool. like yeah I was thinking about Pokemon for example and I don't think like you know despite that also being in Japanese I don't think mm -hmm. that that I've ever seen that same with Dragon Ball Z yeah like when I was watching it, I don't think they ever used the Japanese intro instead of the English intro at any point it, mm. it totally changes the mood like the mm. Japanese intro music to Digimon is like uh it's almost like hair metal it's like oh, yeah. um, Japanese rock, like it's pure, yeah. um, amazing Japanese rock, and it it gets it gives you this vibe of like, oh, this is going to be such an exciting show. But the English version is rap rock, mm. which mm. is of course 1990s. Of course, mm. it's going to be rap rock. 
Um, but it's like this weird industrial kind of rap rock Linkin Park kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. And it creates a completely different vibe. Mm. Um, it's so interesting how like local localized theme songs just change the vibe completely. Oh, totally. But I like that, um, I guess, in the downloaded versions that I have existing <laughs> currently from <laughs> unknown source, mm. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they have those kind of differences throughout. And I think the, so whenever the Japanese versions are brought in, it's to kind of emphasize a comedic sort of tone. And a really good example that I would love to play for you tonight is um, there's an episode titled Mad Mod, and it's really just like a homage to mod 60s kind of style like it's perfect it's it's great if you get a chance to go look up like the clip from the show which we will actually post on our facebook yeah yeah let's post it on our facebook at ost sin um on facebook this is mad mod featuring puffy army yumi from the teen titan soundtrack this is ost on sin nation beast boy what's up nothing but the ceiling baby <laughs> good one see she thinks i'm funny you're listening to OST here on Sin Nation Original Soundtrack with Aaron, Paul and Evram tonight. That was Chasing Mad Mod from the Teen Titans soundtrack and it was sang by Puffy Amiyumi, Japanese girl group, who I kind of still <laughs> love to this day. Um, massive weeb over here. <laughs> Paul, what yeah. are we going to do to wrap up the night? Well, we've been talking about the kind of iconic Disney movies and I feel like sometimes the... Other studios don't get that much credit when it comes to talking about soundtracks. Um, you know, you can talk about the Shrek soundtrack to The Cows Come Home, but I think <laughs> there's lots of other studios that have done animation uh, that have put out really amazing soundtracks and movies that don't really get the recognition recognition I think they deserve. Mm. And one of them is Warner Brothers Animated Studios, which definitely doesn't exist anymore. No, um, but Pixar and DreamWorks are still, you know doing all this amazing stuff, but they released uh, probably one of my favourite movies of all time, I say. It's, you know, mm. I'd say that very sparingly about the songs we talk about on OST, so when I say it, I mean it. Um, and that's The Iron Giant. So that came out in 1999, um, so it would have just come out on VHS when I was just a little and a little three-year-old, and I love mm. this movie to death. <laughs> and it features a really interesting cast. It has Eli Martintal, who... Uh, you might know from he's in American Pie for some reason. Okay. He's uh, Stifler's uh, little brother or something in that, apparently. <laughs> awesome. uh, Harry Connick Jr. is in it. Jennifer Aniston. Vin Diesel in one of his first voice acting roles. Whoa. He plays the giant. What? Uh, I, I did not know that. Yeah, at neither all. did I. <laughs> what? And uh, Christopher <laughs> McDonald is in it and John Mahoney too. So it features original music by Michael Kamen, who sadly isn't with us anymore. He, he passed away not too long after this movie came out, but he is released. He's like the My Michael Giacchino of before the 1990s. So he did Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. He did all the soundtracks to that. And it features lots of songs from the 50s because the movie's set in Cold War America and an alien invades from space and becomes friends with a little boy. But of course the government thinks it's hostile and they try to kill it, which is Vin Diesel. Oh my God. <laughs> which is kind of funny in hindsight. Um, so this movie's really great. I think it's a personal favourite of mine for many reasons. Um, the main character, Hogarth, it's the most disgusting name. You have to use like all of your facial muscles to say Hogarth. Uh, he is very relatable, and the relationship between him and the giant is really wholesome, and it's really lovely, and it's really great. Um, but I've always, always kind of loved the 50s and 60s era in movies, which we've talked about on the show. Mm. And I think this movie kind of accidentally started that love, because um, it's very 50s. Like, it's even kind of animated in a similar style to what Disney and studios were making in the 50s where it has lots of kind of palette and 
paintings mm-hmm. um, purposefully, uh, but also has a mix of CGI as well. So it's kind of like the old getting smacked in the face by the new, which is, is really great. Um, and it, yeah, it just has a really interesting art style, but also a plot as well that it, it, it's really complex for a child. I had no idea what the Cold War was when this movie came out. They have lots of references to Sputnik in it as well. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what Sputnik is. I have no <laughs> idea what that is. So it's really deep thematic information for a child to comprehend. But once you're older and you kind of know about history, it kind of all makes sense. Hmm. Um, it's and, really... Oh, sorry, you go. Yeah. No, you go. You go. Um, I find it really interesting that the plot of this film, like obviously it's fiction, but the fact that there is a non-fiction like historic point in the story that's like within the context of what's happening is really interesting because like I'm trying to think of like Disney films for example and like there are no other animated films that I can think of really that are like based or like within the context of something that happened in real life like that on earth do you know what mm-hmm. I mean like society and culturally like Disney explores those themes but with lions you know like it's interesting because yeah it's just so different to actually do that in an animated film for kids well the, it's actually based on a book that came out during the Cold War. So right. the book was actually very obviously about the Cold War, about an invader and about a... Because that was all the rage in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It was all like aliens invading. Obviously the Soviet Union, everyone was worried about invasion and war and all that happening again. So it's interesting that a book that was written in 1968 was remade in 1999. Yeah. And I'm kind of struggling to think now what was the reason Kind of, I don't know what was happening in 1999. Like, how did they pick this was the one? It's like, what was the thematic stuff that was going on in 1999 that made them go, oh, we have to make The Iron Giant now because it's so relevant. Mm. It would have been such a more relevant movie if it came out in 2005 or even later. I don't know. Um, I feel like 99 is just such a... There's a lot that could have happened for mm. people in that time. And there's... Uh, whenever some... Like, Cold War, there's... I guess that's kind of probably the first side uh, this side of the 21st 20th century rather where people are going oh this could be it this could be the apocalypse and then 99 it's the same thing Mm. i guess it's kind of very much like the y2k kind of bug that was going around at that time everyone was like it's over yeah it's it we're going to get invaded by aliens we're going to die yeah so it's a good (laughs) it's always a children's thing to (laughs) to make for children um and yeah also you know i think a lot of the movies we've discussed um discussed today kind of not so much with this movie what with the other movies i mean but they this movie really captures loss of a of a loved one and they're really uh, spoilers for the iron giant if you haven't seen it the giant dies at the end and it protects the earth because um someone sets off it's very much like um cuban missile crisis someone lets off a nuclear Mm. bomb and the only thing that can stop it is the iron giant so he destroys himself to save the earth and i think that's really important to have most kids' movies have a, a loss or a death in it. You know, you know, the obvious ones are Bambi and The Lion King. But hmm. I think when we were talking about before with really dark content and challenging content being in, important, um, this movie was really good in giving kids that just that idea of what loss can be. Mm. And it's like it's just represented, represented in a little friendly giant dying. But it's, mm. it's so important for kids to get that message that, you know, this is loss. This is what it is. I think that's really that's really great about what this yeah, movie of does. Yeah. And on that really sad note, <laughs> I think we should play an upbeat song. So because this movie's um based in the fifties, of course it has lots of classic fifties rock that was going around at the time in the soundtrack. Of course the soundtrack also had lots of 
action beats to it, but um, I think the thing I liked the most about it was the kind of the 50s music they reused for the soundtrack. So to play us off, we finished this episode for tonight. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Everham, for coming on with us oh, it's been and my discussing pleasure. animation oh. with us. Um, thank you listeners so much for listening. And if you're listening on podcasts, thank you very much for listening all the way through to the end. Um, we're going to play Blast Off by the Tyrones, which is fitting because we're blasting off ourselves. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to OST Original Soundtrack on Sin Nation. See ya. A peaceful stay-at-home kind of day in a town very much like your own. But then, suddenly, without warning... Want more from OST? Check us out on Facebook at OST Original Soundtrack.